waking up is not enough flourishing in the human space a podcast by Polly young eisendraft and michael berger when you peek into the cosmic unity of existence and feel the love and inspiration of awakening what happens next whether it's through meditation spiritual practice near-death experience ingesting a mind-altering substance or being born again you don't get a map for improving your messy life in this podcast Polly young eisendraft and michael berger draw on expertise in science psychology adult development psychedelics ndes dreams and buddhist practice in conversations about compassion resilience responsibility kindness and development after awakening you will learn how to chart a new path for flourishing in the human space in which waking up is important but not enough and growing up is never finished co-hosts Polly young eisendraft and michael berger bring different kinds of expertise Polly is an author psychologist union analyst longtime zen practitioner couple therapist and founder of dialogue therapy and real dialogue michael berger is an entrepreneur an expert in psychedelics a spiritual practitioner of jewishness a skeptic a real dialogue specialist and a filmmaker who is known for his documentary improbable collapse the demolition of our republic Polly and Mike will engage with each other and invite a wide array of guests who are accomplished scientists and seekers whose work lies beyond the hegemony of materialism. I wanted to touch on something that in this stage theory, I guess from my perspective, it seems that I move from being a being that is self-centered, self-involved, like the infantile stage, let's say. And through stages of development, I seem to be able to reach a place, like if we look at the highest level of flow, where it's no longer about self, self merges with everything and self moves into flow, let's say, if, if we accept the, this new interpretation of a higher stage. And so I'm seeing at a very high level overview, moving from very concrete, very black and white, to being more flexible and open, and to having room for accepting more complexity and maybe a little bit more gray area. So from simplicity to complexity, from self-protection to an expansiveness, and that these stages, these experiences connect directly to our awakening journey as I'm hopefully developing my own sense of who I am. Another weird, maybe a strange way to put it would be, it's as if I'm reclaiming myself. Myself arises from this interactive process with other humans, with the environment, with my geography, with, with the time and culture I'm born into. But perhaps as an aspect of my growth in stage development is as I progress, I'm beginning to winnow 
what I've taken on from the tribe and the culture, reflecting, questioning, and then defining for myself and reclaiming what it means to me to be safe. How do I fit or how do I feel in terms of my emotional interrelationships with other people? Am I protecting myself or am I open to hearing what others say without responding with defensiveness or feeling taking it personally? So also moving from this is very, very personal to coming from a place where I understand that it isn't personal at all, how you interpret your experience differently from the way I do is not an attack or a criticism of the way I see my reality, nor is my way of seeing my reality an attack or criticism on yours. And I think one of the challenges is this notion that somehow as we just by using the spatial metaphor of moving up in development or a higher level of development, we infer that one is better than another or superior. When in fact, if I'm understanding what you just said, it's really about a structure and coming into a higher order of coherence within my understanding of myself. It isn't a better than or less than, it is a path. There isn't a moral angle to this. You're, you're so correct in everything that you're saying. And it is true that each one of these is, let's say, legitimately impersonal in the sense that these are structures that naturally unfold in a way that we cannot easily perceive. This is something that's flowing along, but we don't perceive typically. But where it does enter into awakening and where it ends, it enters into the moral order is some of what you were mapping out that we move from being extremely concerned with our own safety and our own needs and our own resources. And you'll see it's much more complex than that because that seems as though it is just a sort of orientation towards self, but it's really a way of seeing the world as well. We move from that and we move through a time of tribalism. And then we move past tribalism. And if we could keep moving in an understanding that the human view of things is inherently benefited on every level by not killing each other, not having war, not being basically convinced of our own separate or even tribal truth or reality, that we're moving through this, this sea or this, let's say this river that flows into the sea. We'll, we'll use that metaphor that's in the poem. The sea here is the awakening. The sea is the awakening to the inherent unity. Things are flowing into the awakening, into inherent unity. We know that because if we awaken through meditation, near-death experience, psychedelics, the mask of the mask of the present moment is lifted, and we see the unity that's behind the mask. We experience it. But then when we bring that insight of love and unity back into our individual lives, we're bringing it back into the place in the river where we are at that moment. And the river is naturally flowing towards the sea. 
So the natural development is towards a more humane morality, a more humane, kind, compassionate engagement with each other, not only with the world around us. Yes, people love the dolphins and they love the elephants. They often don't love each other. So, you know, it's, we're no longer in a world where animals like snakes or tigers are our primary enemies. We're in a world where the homo sapien is our primary enemy. And this natural movement of development is towards an outcome in which it's clear that that cannot be the case. It cannot be the case that we are benefited from making other people our enemy. And so in a sense, there's a natural unfoldment in these stages of development of what I would call, you know, the universal law of the golden rule or whatever you want to call it, the inherent nature of our being is that we really must benefit others in order to be benefited ourselves. And it, it's got to be benefiting other people, not just our dogs or some other species or whatever, but benefiting others so that there's a natural movement. And that is the nature of consciousness developing through the human. And accepting what you just said is spoken from a certain stage of development. And it may not appear to somebody at a different stage, let's say impulsive or conformist, they might challenge everything you said, because from their perspective, they might be coming from, you know, my role, for example, as a male is to hunt, to provide, to protect, to bring home the food so my partner can raise the children and their job. So in other words, at each stage, we're going to see these things very, very differently. And maybe one way to help show how this works is all we have to do is look at the major divides that we see in our current time. Whatever the issue is, whether it's different faiths that people belong to, or perhaps the way people consider the uber-wealthy now, the one percent or the one-tenth of the percent, that this tribalism that we can maybe now take a step back and look at the, quote, sides of these issues and see them as a reflection of a certain stage of development. Yes, I'm hoping that that will happen. I'm hoping that we can, as we go through the five questions, that we can begin to see that there is an underlying logic or structure to all of these positions that are taken on both sides of climate change, on both sides of renewal, renewable energy, on both sides of the war on Ukraine, or let's say war at all, or nuclear weapons. There are different stages of development that are legitimately there because there are different kinds of people. But if we recognize that the human development of consciousness, consciousness for the human, awareness of our awareness, awareness of our awareness is unfolding towards this unity in which we cannot benefit the individual without others benefiting that each of us individually 
has to come to see through the awareness of our awareness that we exist in the biology of love, that that is the biology, that that is the environment in which we exist. And if we destroy that environment, we are ourselves destroyed. So, you know, I'm hoping that taking this tour of the stages, and as you say, there's a whole lot of, I guess, defensiveness around the idea that one thing is higher and something else is lower. And again, this way of speaking, there simply is not another way of speaking when it comes to looking at a paradigm of hierarchy of stages. Each stage is encompassed and reorganized by the next stage. So on one hand, stage development is development that occurs in a normal human lifetime, but it can stop at any point, and we will be talking about where it typically does in North America. And once you stop, that becomes your state. It's then your traits. It's no longer a stage of development. It's the traits of your personality. So on one hand, this is a kind of developmental model. And on the other hand, it's a typology. And we talked about typologies last time that you know we're, we're often looking for a typology that will help us sort out the differences between ourselves and others, like astrology, human design, Myers-Briggs type indicator, the Enneagram. These are ways of saying, okay, there's different types of people. Now, ego development, it's both a stage theory of unfoldment, but it's also a theory of types of people. So as we get into, we can look at this type and that type and that type. So I'm going to now talk about pre-conformist types. I'm going to give the typical ages. Again, when it comes to ego development, typically the stages are developed and talked about without age-specific elements because they become types of people in adulthood, while they are also the natural unfolding of the human personality through development. And Jane did her studies across cultures. She's also, the ego development research has been validated in many, many cultures. I don't know how many now, but you could look on Wikipedia. The sentence completion test translated into many languages. We're talking really here about a universal unfolding, at least the hypothesis is that it's universal, of human consciousness, the awareness of your awareness, into stages and then places where adults can be stuck and remain, and then they become types of people. So the first stage uh, really is the pre-social stage at zero to two years old, and you cannot be stuck at this stage without being an institution. So this is the stage of development that occurs before there's a sense of self-consciousness. And so this is the stage where, you know, you're relating through your primary emotions, you're relating through your sensory motor responses to the environment, and you haven't yet formed a sense of self. There's no sense that I'm in here, I'm in this body. It's beginning to form. And as we've talked about many times now, 18 months to two years, the self-conscious emotions come on board for the human across any culture, those self-conscious emotions, sometimes called the social emotions, pride, shame, jealousy, envy, self-consciousness, embarrassment, self-pity, they get organized in such a way that you start to experience yourself as separated out from others. 
I'm inside of his body. Others are separated from me. I feel a vulnerability. And that begins the development of the next stage, which is called the impulsive stage. And this comes on board two to four years old, typically. The child has various impulsive behaviors that affirm an experience of itself and of its identity. No, me, mine, I got this, I want this. And there is inherently a development of a feeling of rewards and punishments. Also causal reasoning. I can put this somewhere and go back and get it because I know it will remain there. Uh, and the sorting of people. And this is very important because some adults remain at the impulsive level. And I'll talk about that also as uh, sometimes what happens to people when they get into ecstatic states or when they get into what are typically thought of as you know states of pleasure, they can also become very impulsive. So the people that are the way that the impulsive child or person looks at other people is that they're good people and bad people. The good people are nice to me. The bad people are mean to me. So everything is sorted out by me. Are you nice to me? Are you mean to me? If you're nice to me, you're a good person. If you're mean to me, you're a bad person. And the bodily impulses that drive a lot of the behaviors at this stage are pleasure, aggression, sexuality. So this is the impulsive stage of development. And it's the further development. It's the unfolding from the pre-social stage where there really was not a self formed. So now the self is formed. We could call it the ego, the sense of I'm in here and there are others out there and I'm using my impulses to sort out the world and I'm sorting out other people at the same time. They're good people and they're bad people. And I'm driven by my own impulses and I'm gradually organizing myself into an identity. And here we're talking about the individual, depending on the others that are around the individual, others may reward impulses in that individual or others may contain those impulses and help that individual develop to the next stage of development. So here we're talking about a child two to four years old at around four years old, certain kinds of self-conscious emotions allow the child, because the child can now perceive itself in comparison to others and can perceive whether it has more or less than others, it's getting better treatment than others. The child begins to form what's called the self-protective stage of development. And that self-protective stage comes on board between four and six years old. Would you comment on what, if any, overlap there is between Freud's stages of anal, oral, etc., and how there seems to be some overlap? It may not be directly about stages, but maybe within each stage, there are some aspects of this developmentally. Uh, yes, I mean... Freud was one of the theorists that Jane Lovinger embraced and taught, but I would say that in what I gave you, which was really a very brief overview of these first stages, she's drawing more on Piaget. People are less familiar with Piaget, but Piaget 
talked a lot more about the formation of the self in relation to the sensory motor environment and the formation of the subject object split into I'm inside of the body and there's a world out there and I can make causes happen and I'm an agent and I have the ability to imagine and pretend and so on. Yes, there, there is a way that the impulsive stage sounds like Freud's psychosexual stages. I would say that the content of the impulsive stage comes more from the ego development test because there are adults that function at the impulsive stage. So she would have collected their sentence completions. There are adults that definitely say a good person is someone who's nice to me or good to me. So, you know, one thing having studied this from the point of doing the research on it, I can go back. Here's some examples of the impulsive stage in responding to the stem, if my mother. So if my mother is this, is the thing that you're presented with, and then you finish that sentence. So here are some examples. If my mother go go, if my mother go downtown, I want her to buy me a dress. If my mother gives me the money, I'll go. If my mother would finish my sweater. If my mother brought me a sweater, I will thank her. If my mother let me go on a shopping spree, I would be happy. If my mother could make clothes, I would have a whole wardrobe. If my mother was my size, I would wear her clothes. If my mother was living, I would be very happy to get that motherly love. If my mother come over today, I will ask her to bake some cookies. If my mother has any money, I would like to see it once in a while. If my mother died, I would kill myself. If my mother died, I couldn't make it. If my mother ever hit my father, I'd be afraid. If my mother hit me, I'd cry. If my mother even touched me, I'd positively leave. If my mother is a short lady, I, and then it's, if my mother is good to me, I'd be good to you. So you can see that the logic of impulsivity is in those responses, even though those people are not in the age group of the impulsive response. So when it comes to the impulsive stage of development, you've got a lot of sentence completions. You've got a lot of data. Prior to impulsive, the pre-social, you really don't because there's no one outside of an institution who is an adult at those stages. So starting with the impulsive stage, you're really building from data. You're not building from anyone's theories, but it sounds a lot like Freud. Some of it sounds like Freud. Some of it will sound like Erickson. Some of it will sound like Sullivan. Some will sound like Jung. And that is because in reality, those theories are pretty accurate, but also when you're doing this kind of research on adult development, you begin to fill out your view of an adult who's functioning from a pre-social or from a pre-conformist, not a pre-social, but from a pre-conformist point of view. So the impulsive point of view is very self, you know, sort of I'll get what I need. And if you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. And if you're mean to be mean to me, I'll be mean to you and so on. So does that make sense? Yes, yes. I think that's very helpful, especially hearing the actual responses. Some of them are a bit surprising. 
Yeah, and so I, maybe I'll do that. I'll read some from each one of these pre-conformist stages. And, you know, this is, of course, taking longer to talk about than what we had forecasted. So I'm going to move now to the next pre-conformist stage, which is the self-protective stage. And this note is a stage of development where there are quite a few adults. So this is no longer four to six years old for from the point of view of ego development, there are a lot of adults at the self-protective stage of development. Jane always said that Richard Nixon was at the self-protective stage and she was an expert. So she said he was very intelligent, but he was at the self-protective stage. You know, I'm just putting that out there. So the self-protective stage, you find individuals being opportunistic and exploitative. They are working with their own self-control of their impulses. So now we're moving out of just behaving. So again, you know, if you're taking um, an ecstatic drug or you're in the middle of doing an ecstatic dance or you are trying to become euphoric by getting into some state of mind, you're probably behaving impulsively. And if you just go with your impulses, you're likely to run over somebody else or not respond to what they need. And so you're back there in your, you know, two to four year old stage or frame of mind. Now, if you can also operate in a more, let's say, mature, emotionally mature frame of mind, then you can step out of the impulsive stage. But Sometimes people just sink into their impulses and they somehow feel that it's legitimate to just rest there. Similarly, with the self-protective stage, people sink, sink into being opportunistic and exploitative of others because in those moments, they're feeling tired. They're feeling stressed. They're just trying to control their own impulses. And at the self-protective stage, we are anticipating short-term rewards. We want to gratify ourselves. We want what we want when we want it. We're fragile. We're vulnerable. And we believe in a kind of morality that getting caught means being wrong and not getting caught means being right. We see a lot of this reasoning in politics. We say that if you don't get caught, then you're okay. If you get caught, you're wrong. We use rules to our own advantage, and we feel that blame is something that is important to do, but blaming is mostly blaming others. We're not blaming ourselves yet, we're blaming others. And we blame others, and to some extent, we try to get others into trouble. So at this self-protective stage, four to six years old, where there are a considerable number of adults, we are opportunistic and exploitative because we are trying to control our own impulses and we justify what we're doing based on the fact that we are stressed or we're, you know, this has been done to us so we can do it to others, et cetera. I'm gonna take the sentence stem I am and read the self-protective and then I'll read a few of the impulsive too so you can get the contrast because this is a development, you know, from being impulsive to being self-protective. It's not, it's not a move backwards on this uh, scale. Here, I'll read a few examples. So this is the sentence stem is I am, and the person fills in whatever they want to the stem. 
So a few examples of the impulsive stage. I am always good and respectful. I am a young lady, a respect young lady and nice. I am very pretty child when I want to be and I am something and I have been told to be good so I try. And I am a very good woman is an impulsive stage of development expression. I am a very good woman. Now, I have to say the way you score these sentence completions is not obvious until you get into the whole scoring system. So you score everything separately as its own stem, then you put the whole thing together, the entire protocol for a single person to check out to be sure you've been accurate, to see the logic that underlies the whole protocol. So here I'm going to read some of the self the self-protective responses to I am. So the first set, now we're starting to categorize these responses. The first step are complaints against the environment. The second category is a crazy or stupid category. The third is boy crazy. The fourth is careful who I talk to. And the fifth one is self-rejection. So these now are categories that these, these responses are scored into. So I am unlucky. I am a girl who no one really understands. I am sick of this place and I want to go home. I am completely frustrated with selfish people. I am really at times quite stupid. I am crazy and in love. I am a sex maniac. I am very wild. I am a flirt. I am careful with whom I play with. I am conceited and mean at times when I'm in bad mood. I am easily hurt, ugly, nosy, and not very tactful. I am dirty-minded, overweight, a little, and very ugly. So those are statements of the self-protective stage. And they are statements that were made by actual people. These are actual examples. And they give you a feeling for what it feels like to be in this pre-conformist stage. This is still before conformity. So this is an individual trying to cope with their impulses, protect themselves, deal with the social environment they're in, they want to anticipate what's going on so they can get rewards. They're fragile, they're vulnerable, and they're still using the categories. You know, if someone is nice to me, they're good. If someone is bad to me, they're mean to me, they're bad. So this struggle to simply bring yourself under control is a struggle that leads to self-protectiveness and leads to opportunism and leads to you know, taking advantage of others, that's legitimate at that stage of development, four to six years old. And you're beginning at that point to have an identity. You know, I'm, I'm a, this kind of person, I'm a girl type or a boy type, or I am a, now you can be a non-binary type, you can be some other type, I guess. But the issue really is the self-protectiveness and the way you're organizing for your own benefits for short-term rewards. So these are all involved in the pre-conformist stages of development. Now, what I wanna point out here before we go to conformity is that there's a way that you can look at a child or even another adult behaving impulsively and getting stuff for themselves and feeling like they can be free to say no and to say, you know, I want what I want when I want it. 
And we can tend to think of that as wildness or freedom and confuse that with you know, wildness or freedom, with freedom, freedom to be yourself, rather than seeing it as selfishness and the desire to get stuff for yourself when you're feeling impulsive. So I want to point that out because this is one of the issues about looking at these stages. You have to look at the underlying logic rather than just the behavior. And the logic is, I've got to work with my impulses and I have to protect myself. I have to get on the good side of stuff because I need stuff and I've got to do it now. I can't delay it. So pre-conformity, and it can be confused with mild, wildness, pleasure-seeking, euphoria, those kinds of states of being. You've done a great job in outlining the pre-conformist stages up to this point. I think um, I think this is offering a fascinating view of stage development theory and how there are predictable ways to understand reality, morality, relationships, and self-identity by using stage development theory. And as we begin to unpack this together, I, I hope that our listeners will find this a useful compass in a practical way for them to use this map, maybe in integrating their own waking up experience, and that hopefully together we can navigate this ever-evolving landscape of our beliefs about what's real, understanding the, the interplay between our cognitive and emotional development. Maybe we're opening up the doors to some profound insights and maybe even some transformative experiences. At the very least, I hope that we're paving the way for increased empathy and compassion and open-mindedness as I come to see where others are on their journey in their developmental stages, I'm better able to accept where they're at, where I'm at, and maybe be a little bit less defensive and less critical. So maybe I'm able to hear better than I did before having this map. Well, I'm agreeing with you on every level, and I think it is a good time to close. I think what we've covered in this episode really is a kind of introduction to Jane Lovinger's system, a little bit of getting to know Jane, and also a little bit of getting to know what is involved in the logic or the underlying structure of ego development. I do hope that people take this as a way of understanding themselves, first and foremost, being able to trace states of mind, states of being, behaviors in themselves. And then secondarily, to looking at what I would call the logic of human development. Often people don't know why we use the term logic, but it is the structure. It's a structure that is unfolding universally for people because of our biology of relationship, because we're inherently relating to the others around us from the beginning. And also, I think if we understand the logic, we can much better sort out in our awakenings, what is the wheat and what is the chaff? Like, you know, if, for example, we're having a euphoric experience and we're in an impulsive state of mind, we need to 
perhaps recognize that, okay, that does have a sort of selfish core. And when I come out of this, perhaps I need to recognize, I'll need to share a little differently because I've been engaged in my selfish core. So I'm hoping that this will help, again, experiences that are the waking up experiences. And also, on the other hand, being able to see that the development of human consciousness over a human lifetime and throughout, let's say, human history is the unfolding of a certain kind of awareness of our awareness towards this unity and towards this love. If we see the map, we might be able to do it more, I suppose, easily or smoothly or something like that, as well as with greater compassion for each other. Uh, this is the map, and the map is not the thing itself, but it is a guide. And, uh, you know, you can begin to see, using the, the poem that Jane quoted, that there, there is a river that's flowing towards the sea, and it's not just arbitrary. This has been great talking to you. I'm so glad you were there to give an overview each step of the way. Thank you. And I'd just like to invite our listeners to continue exploring the vast territories of your own consciousness, guided by the maps of the mind that we've begun to unveil today, and hope that you embrace the changes and transformations that unfold within, for they are the signposts of your awakening journey. I want to thank you for joining us. And as we a bit farewell for now. Remember that each awakening is as unique as a fingerprint, and there is no right or wrong way to navigate this remarkable path. May you find solace in the diversity of perspectives, and may your heart be open to the wondrous tapestry of human experiences. Uh, we hope you join us in the episodes to come where we will delve deeper into the different ways adults assess and answer questions about their own beliefs. We'll explore the capacity for doubt, the evidence that can change minds, and the power of understanding opposing viewpoints. And I also would like to just take a moment to announce the upcoming foundational training in Real Dialogue and Dialogue Therapy being held in Stowe, Vermont at the Trap Lodge. Session one begins November 30th. There are three four-day sessions in the next training. Session one is November 30th to December 3rd. Session two will be February 1st through 4th. And session three will be April 18th to the 21st of 2024. For more information, you can go to realdialogue.com and from the menu, select foundational training. All the details are there. If you have any questions about the training or anything in the podcast, you can email me at mike at realdialogue.com. Thank you for listening to Waking Up Is Not Enough. To explore further, go to www.realdialogue.com where you can download our free app and become a part of our online community. Purchase any course in the Real Dialogue app and you'll receive an email invitation to our monthly conversation where Polly and Mike hold an Ask Me Anything monthly on Tuesdays. Waking Up Is Not Enough is produced by Chris Coltrane and is available on all major podcast channels.